You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. So we've just sung um, from verse 7 on in Psalm 27, and really that's the part of the psalm where David turns to uh, really intercede and pray. Um, at the beginning of the psalm, he expresses uh, his, really his confidence in the Lord. So let's um, hear God's word. Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Well, amen, and may the Lord bless uh, the reading and the preaching of his word to us. Well, Augustine, the early church theologian, gives this direction on uh, the use of the Psalms, and I discovered this this week in his exposition of the Psalms. He says this, If the psalm prays, you pray. If the psalm laments, you lament. If the psalm exalts, you rejoice. If it hopes, you hope. If it fears, you fear. Everything written here is a mirror for us. Helpful words, I think, from Augustine. And I think, in a sense, we, we, um, as the, the spirit of Christ is in us, we, we reflexively uh, do that as we read the Psalms. Some parts in the Psalms we're not sure if we should take on uh, on our own lips. But uh, I think Augustine's very helpful to us here. 
Um, and elsewhere, he talks about how the, the Psalms really are, um, he speaks of, of the whole Christ uh, speak, uh, speaking and preaching uh, the Psalms, that is, Christ our exalted head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read the Psalms, we see Jesus in his humiliation and in his exaltation. But also as the body of Christ, as the fellowship of believers, we take these words uh, upon our own lips. So uh, the Messiah David was surrounded by enemies and he prayed. Uh, Jesus Christ was surrounded by enemies and he prayed for deliverance. The church around the world is surrounded by enemies and we pray for deliverance. So we're going to come and look at at, at Psalm 27. Um, We're going to look at it in in four sections. People sometimes think that this psalm is uh, kind of two psalms stuck together. You'll have noticed um, that sort of there is a change of tone from verse 7 onwards as he turns to, to pray. But I think there's a unity here. I think what, what David is doing is his prayers arise out of what he has confessed of God's character, of God's protecting and God's care and God's presence with him. And I think that's a reminder that, that our prayers do not just sort of hang in space out of nowhere. We pray because God calls us to pray. We pray in response to his word, in response to his revelation. So we're going to look at it in in four sections, just uh, verses 1 to 3, as David expresses his confidence in the Lord's protection, verses 1 to 3. And then verses 4 to 6, as he expresses his desire for the Lord's presence, his fellowship with with the presence of the Lord and dwelling in the Lord's um, presence. And then we'll look at this section where he just prays, verse 7 to 12, as he cries to the Lord in, in urgent and desperate prayer. And then there's this final expression at the end, this final expression of confidence at the end and this exhortation to wait upon the Lord. And so um, as we come to this um, psalm, it's a, it's a little bit like Psalm 3. Remember Psalm 3, David in the midst of trouble, surrounded by evildoers. Here he is surrounded by enemies. Um, and so this first section, he expresses his confidence in the Lord's protection. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is his light. And remember how the Lord led his people uh, out of Egypt with a, a pillar of cloud by day uh, for shade and a pillar of fire by night, which gave light, which guided them. Light, which there was, this pillar was a a place of of protection and blessing for God's people. He's very present with the people. Think of just the symbol of light, meaning truth and blessing and brightness. And so many things uh, in the Old Testament as as we read these associations. And, And David confesses, the Lord is my light. And my salvation, that word just speaking of this, just this great rescue of God which comes in every single dimension, his salvation. Whom shall I fear? And, um, and well, who should he fear? Now, what is the answer to that? Who might David fear? Well, there are many, many enemies that surround him, but who should he fear? What's the answer to this question? Who, if God is on his side... And the children might like to answer me for this one. Who should David fear? Dangerous question, maybe. Goliath, he was pretty big. Who might David fear? Um, Sorry? God. 
Is that the answer? Well, that is actually the answer, isn't it? Who should David fear? Well, no one but God. So none of these other enemies that he's got that are surrounding him um, are any match for the Lord who is with him. Uh, The Lord, God is my light and my salvation. Who should I fear? No one else. That's the answer, isn't it? And then he says, uh, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Who should I be afraid? The stronghold was that place of protection. Think of David. Remember, he was on the run from Saul and had to find a safe place, a stronghold, an impregnable fortress. Well, here he's saying, actually, it's the Lord who is his safe place, his stronghold. There's no earthly security that he could find or we could find which will ultimately keep us safe. It is only in the Lord who is our our stronghold and safe place. And there is this question again, of whom shall I be afraid? Well, no one. There is no one of whom he should be afraid. He's got complete security for he has placed his life in the hands of the God who created the heavens and the earth. And David had learned this. He'd learned in the face of many dangers and troubles, to strengthen himself in the Lord. And uh, the Apostle Paul, he asks, doesn't he, a similar question in Romans chapter 8. Um, he asks this, Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. None of these things could separate, can separate the believer from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So like David, Paul faced many enemies, as we were thinking about this morning, but he had learned what it, what it meant to say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I fear? And we think of the, just the boldness of the early believers facing great tribulation, great difficulty. They'd learned that the Lord is their strength and their salvation. And David has this amazing confidence. Look at verse 2 and 3. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, uh, to attack me, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. He pictures his adversaries here like wild beasts ready to to tear him apart and gulp him down, to take his property, ultimately to take his loved ones, to destroy his life. That is their plan, yet it is they who stumble and fall. Those who attack him, they themselves would ultimately be destroyed. And you might think of instances in the life of David where this happened. Remember, Absalom rose up and ultimately Absalom, his son, was was destroyed. Or you might think of other instances in the Old Testament where people have risen up against God's people. Think of uh, Pharaoh and his armies chasing God's people uh, to destroy them. But it was Pharaoh's armies that stumbled and fell and were found at the bottom of the sea. And God who delivered his people. Uh, And we see this uh, in the Psalms, or think of Psalm 2, as we think and read of the plots uh, that stood against the Messiah. And the psalmist saying, why do the nations conspire the people's plot in vain against the Lord and against his Messiah? There are all these plots, ultimately against the Lord Jesus, culminating at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but his enemies stumbled and fell, and Christ was raised up. All these plots came against him, but who fell in the end? Well, it was, it was death itself that fell. It was destruction itself that was destroyed. It was sin and hell and all the powers which were arrayed against God's Messiah, which actually stumbled and fell. 
And we see that in the early church, don't we? We see these attacks come to the early church. But yet, God is working out his purposes. We think about Stephen and those attacks which came against him. And he did die, and there was great lamentation. And yet, the kingdom of God continued to advance. And God's sovereign purposes were continuing. And so David is expressing something of that confidence, that God's kingdom will endure, and God's kingdom will increase. And I think brothers and sisters, that we need that confidence as we pray uh, for the church around the world, as we, as we look at the nightly news and, and we're tempted to despair as we see all the darkness around us, uh, to, to, just to know that the Lord is sovereign and that he is uh, our light, our salvation. Of whom should we fear? Should we fear the future of our world? Has, has God's sovereignty, is it on the blink? Or is he working out his plans? Should we fear for for America and all that's going on there. Well, nations rise and fall, don't they? But God's sovereign purposes continue. And so we take great confidence, even as we pray for brothers and sisters and those facing great distress. Verse 3, he says, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. It's extraordinary, his expression of confidence. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. We see his great confidence even as we see later you think of Hezekiah there as as the Messiah and and the army surrounding him and he put his confidence in the Lord so this is a a lesson we're we're called to learn it's a hard lesson isn't it we we tend to shake with fear at all sorts of things I don't know how you'd feel if an army arose against you Uh, uh, I, I think I would tremble with fear and yet here is David in the midst of that strengthening himself in the Lord and seeking God's help and uh, the confidence of of God's protection. But then as we move on to the next section, four to six, very interesting, he he begins just to express this desire, his desire for God's presence, God's presence. See verses four to six. Verse four, one thing I've asked of the Lord That I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Um, To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And in this little section, four to to four onwards, uh, he uses different expressions for the place of God's presence. He speaks of uh, the Lord's uh, house the Lord's temple, or his shelter, or his tent. He's speaking of God's uh, dwelling place. Now, David, um, he brought the ark to Jerusalem. He pitched a tent for the ark. And not the point of all that, well, this was the place of God's presence with his people. And interestingly, he mentions the temple. The temple hadn't been built in his day, and yet he desired that the temple would be constructed, that more permanent home for the dwelling place of the Lord. Uh, But in the midst of all these trouble and enemies and war and danger, what does he desire? He desires fellowship with the living God, that sweet fellowship of his union and communion with the Lord, the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. It's extraordinary, isn't it? There in the midst of it, he's taking delight and joy, and that's what he desires. And it may be, we don't really know the situation of this psalm, it may be that as he's uh, singing these words or speaking them for the first time, that he's actually uh, outside of Jerusalem and exiled from the place of God's presence, and he, he desires to be back there. But that is his desire, the place of God's presence and this fellowship uh, with the Lord. And we think of... Um, 
Think of actually Jesus in the midst of his earthly ministries, how he withdraw and seek uh, the presence and the help of his, of his heavenly father and know the encouragement of God's presence. Here is David desiring to seek uh, the presence of the Lord. And then in verses 5 to, to 6, he actually starts to use this temple imagery and sanctuary imagery to speak of God's protection in trouble. So verse 5, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. So he's, when he's facing disaster or difficulty or attack, he is looking to the protection and blessing of God's presence. And I don't think he's necessarily thinking about a hiding place in the sanctuary in Jerusalem at this place, but more that he's using these words metaphorically, is seeking um, to be hid under the shadow of God's wings, hid in God's presence. Um, and I think I was reminded, just as we've been studying the book of Acts, of Stephen's speech in chapter 7 of, of Acts, and he's very much speaking about the, the way that God's, God is with his people, and he's not tied to the earthly temple. He was with uh, Joseph in Egypt, um, and he's with, his argument is he's with these scattered believers as they scatter throughout the earth. And so uh, believers scattered around the world, we seek the Lord in his presence. We have open access to, 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 the, to the temple, to the Father's presence through Christ. Um, and so uh, we can seek his presence and his strength. And so uh, there is David trusting in God's protecting Presence, but he's actually then looking forward to uh, vindication and victory at the end of verse 5. Uh, he's saying, He, the Lord, will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So it does seem, it seems to be this hope that if he is exiled from God's presence and the earthly sanctuary, that there is this hope that he will return, a hope that actually he will be then offering in God's presence uh, sacrifices with shouts of joy, so uh, thank offerings and offerings of, of praise that he's been delivered from enemies. So he does seem to have a hope here of, of an earthly rescue and, and such like when he was... Um, when he was exiled from Jerusalem with Absalom's rebellion, he was, he was hopeful that if, if the Lord's favour was with him, that he would see the Ark of God's covenant, that he would see the place of God's dwelling once again. And so he does seem to expect this, this rescue and this great time of celebration. And so David has been looking for the, uh, and singing really about the protection of God and, and the delight of being in, in the Lord's presence. And then in this next section, he just turns to urgent prayer, even desperate prayer. And I think this shows us what trust in the Lord uh, looks like and confidence in the Lord uh, and a knowledge of God's presence with us, or a confidence in God's presence. It, it doesn't look like serene, uh, smooth faith, does it? It doesn't look like uh, just a sort of laid-back confidence. Actually, his confidence in the Lord and in God's presence with him is expressed in really heartfelt prayer or even desperate prayer for God's leading and guiding. So verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me. Answer me. You said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. 
Now here David is reminding God that the reason he's seeking God is that God himself has commanded him to pray. He's there seeking God, and that's because God has commanded it. Just as we come to seek the Lord and to intercede because he himself invites us to ask, seek, and knock. So David really comes, he brings this great argument of prayer. He's saying, look, Lord, you have called me to seek your face. That is why I'm seeking your face. It's not my own idea that I'm praying to you. You have invited me. So he is mounting many powerful arguments in his prayers. And I think we're, we're encouraged in scriptures to, to make these prayers our own and to pray like this before God. And verse 9, Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. He prays, don't hide from me. David felt at times as if the Lord was hiding his face from him. That is a a common experience of the psalmist. He feels like, where is God? And he, he comes before God in trust. So his trust and confidence in the Lord doesn't mean he's then not seeking the Lord and, as it were, arguing with the Lord and coming before him with his requests. These things go together. And then verse 10, it's interesting, he says, For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. The Lord will receive me. We don't know a great deal about David's relationship with Jesse, do we? We do know at the beginning of his ministry that his father, Jesse, sort of rather overlooked David in the lineup of the brothers. And so they were all considered, Jesse considered they would be make great and wonderful kings, but David was off in the sheepfold. And was, oops, oh yeah, there is this other kid. So at the beginning there, he was rather overlooked. Um, we know David cared for his parents and made provision for them. But I think his point here is is that um, even his father and mother, they couldn't provide for him, they couldn't help for him, and and even the most loving parents with with the best of intentions cannot always provide for their children. And so David's hope of provision here is in the Lord. The Lord will receive me. The Lord will bring that provision and protection and blessing and help I think it's interesting, isn't it? I think there are times in our lives where we, the people who we thought might be able to help us, uh, and who we thought might be able to protect us and care for us, perhaps can't. And those are the times when we are, are thrown upon the Lord and need to seek the Lord who promises to care for his people. And I think as we think of this and meditate on this, we can also think of believers coming around the world who have been cast off by uh, their mothers and fathers, abandoned by their parents for their faith in Christ and pray that they would receive the help of a heavenly father and the help and embrace of God's people. So he prays though, he he, he seeks the Lord and then just seeks the Lord for guidance. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, lead me on a level path because of my enemies. A prayer for guidance and a prayer, I think, of, of great humility. Here is the king with many resources at his disposal, one presumes, but he's saying, look, Lord, teach me, help me. It's a very humbling prayer, isn't it? He doesn't assume that he can sort everything out. He's saying, look, Lord, teach me. And it's interesting, this comes up, this, this prayer request for the Lord to teach him and guide him. This seems to come up more often now we're sort of moving into this part of the Psalter after we've sort of moving on from Psalm 19 onwards. There are these, more of these prayers that the Lord would teach him and guide him because of his enemies here. 
Enemies who'd love to see him fall, love to see his downfall. Here, David is not um, praying for an easy path, but simply for a way through it all, that the Lord would teach him and lead me on a level path. And I think that's one of the prayers that we can very easily absorb and take with us as we think about perhaps the, the weeks ahead or things which we, uh, where we need guidance and help that the Lord would, would lead us on um, and help us because of, because of our enemies, because of many um, more spiritual foes and perhaps people who would love to see us mess up. So, verse 12, give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. So we hear these words of David, you can't help think of the Lord Jesus Christ, or also of Stephen, or the persecuted church, suffering believers, people being uh, lied about, and uh, false witnesses facing uh, God's people. But he ends on this, uh, this note of confidence, and then this exhortation. So verse 13, I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I think he's referring here literally to about some sort of earthly um, help and restoration here. He does it many times in the the Psalms, look to this future resurrection hope. that he, and he does have that, Psalm 16 and onwards, that he's, if he's given over to death, then he will uh, be given life and, and eternal life in God's presence. But I, th- I think it is a bit difficult to know. I think here um, he's talking about that the land of the living, actually a, a restoration of his, of his earthly fortunes and earthly hope that he's had some assurance of. Um, but his hope there is set on God's goodness and the goodness of the Lord. And then there's this final exhortation. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. And the the root of the word here to to wait seems to be connected to to a rope or a cord, which is under tension. And the, the, the psalm sort of leaves us in this point of tension, waiting for the Lord. There isn't really a, a resolution to the psalm. He's just left there waiting and we do see that in the life of David. We know that some of his prayers are answered almost instantaneously. Other times he prays and there is just waiting on the Lord. And this, this tension that he's, he's encouraged, been encouraged in the Lord, then he's prayed to the Lord and he's left. And he's just left in this state of tension. And we're encouraged uh, in the scriptures in many places to, to persevere and to trust the Lord and to be patient and to wait for the Lord. So... Well, how do we incorporate this prayer into our worship, into our prayer life? What would Augustine say? Well, I think he'd say, when the psalmist is confident, be confident in the Lord. Take these words um, on us. Uh, David said, when David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, we should say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. We should learn these words, if they're not already underlined many times in your Bible. Uh, it's time to underline them and learn them. For Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we, we take these words um, of God's provision, God's protection, God's strength, and hide them in our hearts and, and strengthen ourselves when fears come in. And uh, when David seeks God's presence, seek God's presence. So verse 4, one thing I've asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So we are to seek God and seek his presence. One thing I've asked of the Lord, this single-minded devotion for, for fellowship 
with the Lord. There are many things we seek after. It's not just one thing, there's many things. But one thing is necessary. So may this psalm, as we read it and as we learn it and, and meditate on it, reorder our priorities and our affections. And when David prays, we are to pray. When he prays, lead me, we pray, lead me. When he prays, guide me and teach me, we pray, guide me and teach me in our situation and in our difficulties and in the things that we are perplexed about. There's great instruction and encouragement for here on how to to pray. And uh, when he says, um, wait upon the Lord, well, that's a direct command, isn't it, for us to wait upon the Lord. So Psalm 27, it's a mighty psalm to finish our little section of the Psalms with, isn't it? It's good to, it's good to end on this one for, for a, a time. And uh, as we learn to rejoice in the Lord always. And as Paul would say, I say again, rejoice. Well, amen. And let me pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S, dot co, dot U-K.